0: hey i'm brian hyatt and this is rolling stone music now i'm in the studio with corey grow and angie martosio and we're going to be talking about rolling stone's recent list of the 50 greatest grunge albums of all time it's kind of pegged to the 25th anniversary of the year that grunge truly ruled the world but i have a lot of questions for these people one of the questions is what is grunge what criteria were you using because there is some stuff in this list that surprised even me i was taken aback I was startled (laughs) by some of the things on this list.
1: Well, that's the point of the list in a way. Grunge for me, I mean, I was 13 in 1994, which, you know, talking about the 25th anniversary of 1994, that was the music that was popular for when I was growing up. Nirvana, obviously, you know, you can always look to them. You know, the big four, Soundgarden, Pearl Jam, Alice in Chains, we all kind of can appreciate them as grunge, but as you dig deeper into it and as you learn a little bit more about other bands, Melvin's, Mudhoney, you realize that grunge isn't just like one sound. It's that You know, there's obviously a whole color palette there. So what we wanted to do with this list was kind of reflect that whole color palette and show that there is stuff like Melvin's that sounds incredibly slow and sludgy and doomy and more metallic and then there's like more punky type things you know like L7 or something like that that can show off a different side of what grunge was and what people considered grunge then and then in hindsight kind of this collective idea of what grunge is. So to sum it up grunge is sort of a combination of punk and metal and classic rock. It was this thing that these kids all just grew up with these diverse influences in the 1980s and it all just kind of came together in the 1980s because you think about the 1970s when they were growing up Sex Pistols and the Ramones were big but also Aerosmith also they had records by the Stooges and stuff like that so it sort of was this melting pot of different things and it all kind of came to a head in the early 90s that's when we finally heard it
0: and post hardcore as well which is one of the things that I really learned from your Green River interviews that we did is a lot of the stuff that came after hardcore Mm -hmm. was a big part incorporating that into the whole mishmash of things Mm -hmm. and just generally there was a time when it seemed like punk and metal were very, very different. And then these people realized, like, well, no, it's literally the same instruments. You just (laughs) like it. And I I think now they had a realization that now in retrospect makes even more sense to us because looking back, now that rock is less dominant in music overall, the little differences between kinds of rock, to me, Mm -hmm. seem much less important, you right. know, it all just kind of seems like old arguments that people were having. It's like leftists in the 30s arguing about different kinds of communism or something. It's just kind of like it's all whatever now, you know. Yeah. It's just
1: <laughs> and this was maybe the first generation to really just, you know, like we were talking about with the Green River thing, they just ditched the old stuff for a while and they came back to it and was like, oh, this is actually pretty good. You know, when Punk came about in the 70s, everybody like threw away their Aerosmith records and then later on they're like, wait a second, I kind of liked Aerosmith and so they would go back to it and then you had a band like Green River which gave us Pearl Jam and gave us Mud honey years later.
0: I think if anything on this list well, there's a few things. Like first of all, like Alice and Chains don't
1: really sound that much like their contemporaries. They were pretty different mm-hmm. for they, they came more from the metal side. Yeah. They, came, they were basically a metal band. When Lane Staley first put together the band, their name was Alice N. Chains. It looked like Guns N Roses. <laughs> and they were kind of more like a hard rock band in a weird way. And then a little bit more maybe punk things came in. A few sounds like a song like Man in the Box is, you know, is it a metal song? Is it a punk song? It's somewhere in between.
0: They also had their own sort of peculiar sort of harmonic Mm -hmm. tendencies these like minor key Mm -hmm. harmonies and stuff that made them not only sound not much like the rest of grunge but not really sound like a lot of other things period like they were a very particular band to me if you know what I mean
1: yeah absolutely and like I said they kind of came up from a whole other background of things you know specifically the metal side of things whereas you know a band you know I keep on mentioning Mudhoney but I think they're worth mentioning they came back they were very staunchly punk and punk influenced and what were some of the
0: things that you left out because you put stuff in that I might say were more just all rock or were more even power pop in some cases but there were things that you kind of excluded i guess by definition we'll talk about some of those
1: well i'll say that my thing when we were really talking about the list and you know i put together with hank uh, steamer who's not here and a couple of the other writers and editors here but i really wanted to just emphasize the greatest grunge albums and so obviously there were bands that were very very popular in the 90s there was bush <laughs> there was silver Chair, there was you know candlebox who were from seattle but to me you know like, we and we talked about it, like those records sort of just didn't stand the test of time as far as like the greatest albums. Like, I mean, I don't, I have not had an urge to listen to Bush. I mean, I didn't have an urge to listen to Bush in the 90s, but <laughs> I so haven't funny. had an urge to check them out since then. So they're left out not so much because they aren't grunge, but just because they aren't
0: good. And you're, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 basically. So were there things that were good and could have been on the list,
1: but everyone decided, you know what, they don't fit the definition of grunge that we're at here? Maybe not a definition type thing. I mean, it's funny. I've seen a lot of people saying, like, are there 50? Like, I did an interview with Buzz Osborne from Melvin's because we We got some extra lists that we put up after this. And he was just like, I don't know. He's like, I had a hard time putting together eight. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, I think there's 50. So, yeah, there's more records that I definitely could have put on there personally. Yeah, I would have put a Grunt Truck record on there. That's number 51, let's say. Uh But as far as like the genre goes, it's been interesting for me to see people's reactions online because a lot of people have been saying, where's Dinosaur Jr.? And to me, Dinosaur Jr., I love them. You know, they put out three amazing records in the 80s in particular, but I never considered them grunge college rock is that how, how would you have, college rock um, it's funny like a lot of these bands too, kind of fall under what they used to just call american underground rock you know like oh, the homestead record scene in the early 80s it's the same thing like sonic youth was part of the same scene they didn't call it grunge in the 80s before you know Green River was really a thing and even then it was kind of a joke
0: I have to say the issue of whether the Smashing Pumpkins are grunge is Mm -hmm. was actually a big thing at the time I think a lot of people did not consider them grunge they considered them sort of Mm alt-rock but separate from grunge but
1: there's a number of Smashing Pumpkins there's three yeah Yeah. so what was the discussion around that I think it's a musical quality at this point I think a lot of people exclude bands from grunge because of geography I think that everyone wants to say that only bands from Seattle were really grunge and certainly the bands from Seattle feel that way and I can respect that but if you listen to a song like Bullet with Butterfly Wings if you listen to a song like Zero which are two incredibly grungy songs on an album that's otherwise schmaltzy and kind of strange you know this weird big bloated double album they put out it was one of these things where it just became sort of undeniable like it's weird to just ignore that you know a song like Today is certainly grunge and hmm. the Gish album I mean that's the thing is like grunge people always think of it as like this mopey thing and it wasn't totally this mopey thing you know it's sort of just more a, an approach or an attitude in some ways
0: Andy, do you think that Smashing Pumpkins are grunge? I do
2: actually I think that a lot of it comes from the inclusion of the single soundtrack I think it was Soundgarden that recommended them to Cameron Crowe, mm-hmm. and I think after that, once especially on MTV, when the floodgates had opened from Nirvana, they were considered that, especially with like mayonnaise coming out.
0: It, it turns out, I guess I never gave it much thought. It turns out, without giving it much thought, I've been sort of a grunge purist. I never, <laughs> yeah. I never thought of the Pumpkins as grunge. I mean, I recognize that sometimes they, like you said, they have songs that were undeniably sort of Nirvana influence with this quite loud thing well, I guess in my head I was like nope not grunge alt rock but again you know I think by the way by putting them on a rolling stone list of greatest grunge albums you may have just changed <laughs> the narrative forever I mean because young people have no idea there ever was a debate and it, as we said these distinctions mean nothing anymore anyway so mm-hmm. I'm gonna go in order for momentarily but I want to call out some of the ones that are really unusual as well The Stooges which mm-hmm. proto grunge proto punk amazing album like one of my favorite albums of all time probably Funhouse. yeah but I'm not sure, it would not have occurred to me at least to put them on a grunge list. So what was the thinking there?
1: Well, a lot of the, let's say 70s bands, actually I think that record came out in 1970, I don't think we had anything from the 60s in there, but we discussed some of these more classic rock artists that came about because of Neil Young. I originally, and we ended up putting a different album on the list, but I wanted to put Russ Never Sleeps on the list for a, a number of reasons. One is it's just really grungy, especially whichever the heavy version of Hey Hey My Why was. I can't remember right. if it was My My Hey Hey or the, <laughs> the opposite. But, you know, you can't deny that. And, you know, even when I interviewed, you know, I mentioned Boz Osborne before from melvin so when i interviewed him about his favorite grunge records he said i want to give zuma from neil young an honorable <laughs> mention that's such a grungy mm. album so that kind of opened things up and hank and i discussed it and there are certain sounds in there and like it was one of these things that when i was doing reporting for the green river story the oral history they talked about how important the stooges were and when you listen to it's one of these things like maybe through a different lens maybe through you know in hindsight you listen to a song like dirt off of a fun house and you can totally hear where that is uh, you know the grunginess comes from there like it just hits you in the face
0: sort of a side note but as I was listening to the album again I always I always think uh, I've always noticed And obviously Iggy Talks about it a ton How influenced the Stooges Could be by the Doors Among other acts And it's just It's really funny To think of the Doors By a few steps removed As being an important grunge band yeah, but, well, but then again Eddie Vedder sang with the Doors At the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction So there you
1: go yeah, On that same note Think about like the Kinks And like you really got me Like is that a punk song? Is that a metal song? Is that a rock song? Is that a hard rock song? Is that a grunge song? It could be all of those things I think we're making a good case To just destroy all categories <laughs> And thus not do this list But Angie Were you going to say something? Oh,
2: I was just gonna talk about Neil Young.
0: And uh, Ragged Glory is the album that's on there, yeah.
2: Which I think it was interesting that we decided to put that on instead of Rest Never Sleeps, but Mm -hmm. if if you really think about it, it makes sense. I mean, in April of 1990, you have Neil Young coming out and gathering up Crazy Horse and his ranch. And this is well before outside the Seattle scene, grunge was a term that anyone used. And he's got these long, drenched-out jams. And soon you have Pearl Jam covering Fucking Up and all their concerts. And he was soon dubbed the godfather of grunge, which I think is apt. And to me, that makes sense as to why we clued him on on
0: the
1: list the flannel shirt helped as many people The flannel shirt that. did help and the general cynicism to his
0: lyrics yeah but you know in that case you got to give uh, john fogarty some credit as well i guess so let's go through the list a bit so number 50 mm-hmm. is mother love bone apple yeah and you know Mother Love Bone Is another one I wouldn't make this case But some people would be like Well they were sort of More of a glam rock thing You know In, mm-hmm. in some ways yeah. And so thus I'm gonna basically make the case That none of the albums On this list should be there No but I mean You know <laughs> But even Mother Love Bone Was probably You know Much less grungy Than Green River For
1: instance Well Mother Love Bone Was the aspirational band To come out of Green River That was where Stone Gossard And Jeff Amon Who later formed Pearl Jam They came out of And they got together With this guy Andy Wood Who was singing with another band Called Malfunction Which was this amazingly Heavy chaotic sounding band That just undeniably grunge and uh they you know wanted to be a little more glammy a little more rocky and it's one of these things where yeah it could fall in different things i mean I, I think that's why it's at number 50 as opposed to somewhere higher up on the list but to my ears it still has a lot of the qualities that you would consider that defined what grunge would be
0: and crown of thorns is on that album right mm-hmm. apple yeah. yeah so let's hear crown of thorns which later pearl Jam started covering and with eddie vedder singing say he who rides
1: phone and song
0: and we're not going to go through the entire list because you can just go to the website and do it. But I think actually it's sort of the upper reaches and the lower reaches uh, have the most to talk about. So we're still going through the uh, lowest reaches or upper, depending on your counting. So the Toadies, Rubberneck 1994, again, like I never thought one way or another in this case of them, whether they were grunge. If you put a gun to my head, I would have said, oh,
1: alt rock. Yeah. And again, it's a geographical thing. I considered them probably alt rock, maybe a little bit more even at the time in the nineties. But in hindsight, when you hear it in context and you hear and you think about all the other bands, like some of the other bands that were not Seattle bands that are on this list, like when you think about the fluid and you think about paw and some of these things. It fits the mold.
0: They are a, a very good band, actually. Like, they're yeah, really catchy, great. really tight, great drums. I don't give them much thought, but re-listening to this album, I was like, they were a good-ass band. Yeah, and that's
1: why they were on you know. the list as opposed to Candlebox. Yeah,
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely 100% better than... <laughs> and it's funny, like the Possum Kingdom with that Do You Want to Die course, I really hadn't thought about that song in a really long time. There's things you hear a lot and then there's things you haven't heard for a long time and there's a strong nostalgia attached to something like that. So let's hear Possum Kingdom.
3: And number
0: 48 is like a four track or what is it? It's a very early Kurt Cobain collaboration thing called The Fecal Matter.
1: It's a long jam.
0: Yeah. It's him and it's Dale Crover from Melvin's. Mm-hmm. and this is not on streaming or anything right i mean it's you, on youtube it's on youtube yeah so you gotta like dig to find it uh, a little bit yeah a yeah, little yeah, bit yeah. for two seconds to go to youtube and, <laughs> yeah. you, you gotta dig for at least two seconds that in 2019 counts as digging in the crates mm-hmm. and when you go to spotify it's not there you either give up or you look in youtube and now that we said it's on youtube it might get pulled off <laughs> number 47 is one of those bands that you just hear about so much in documentaries like hype Mm-hmm. And stuff And and I would venture to say That more people Have heard about this band Than have really sat down And listened to an album by them But I really enjoyed Listening to this It's the u Men Step on a Bug
1: Yeah And the u Men Are just a band That they deserve more credit Than they get It's one of these things Like they were there They're on the Deep Six compilation Which was You know Six bands from Seattle That kind of Presaged grunge And it would become grunge Obviously Soundgarden's there Melvin's is there Green River Who we keep talking about Was there Malfunction from Andy Wood Was there But u Men They predated the whole thing A little bit They were kind of like The first kind of in a cool punk crossover like punk band in Seattle at the time and they put out their first EP I think in 84 but they were playing before that and they inspired a lot of these other bands that became very very famous but their musical contributions are undeniable especially when you go back to it like, like the question of is this grunge or not it's like you know if you spend the time to go back to it and listen to it again you'll, you'll maybe get a different perspective on it
0: well that one I definitely don't have any question on but let's listen mm-hmm. to uh, Flea Circus which is uh, you can kind of hear an early uh, Nirvana as the entry mentions <laughs> Number 46 is one that I kind of alluded to earlier is is Faruka Salt's American Thighs, an album I always liked very much, but for me, it was kind of like a power pop album, and I
1: never once thought of it as grunge, but again. Yeah, and that's one of these things, too, where in hindsight, like grunge had melody. Like When you listen to the guitar on the Veruca Salt album and you listen to the songwriting, it's, it's certainly grunge songs. It's just the Louise Post and everybody, they, they sing with a melody. Talking about these celebrity lists or whatever you want to call them, these, these lists by these grunge musicians. I, I interviewed Danita Sparks from L7 for one of that, and she put American Thighs on there from Veruca Salt. Oh, that's she, really interesting, because they had more mainstream success than her band. Now. Yeah, and one thing she said is she's like, man, I wish we had this kind of success. She's like, when I heard this, she's like, I wish we were doing something like that. She liked the melody Like I was talking about She's like it doesn't have to be All angry all the time
0: I think another thing is Because they had so much Mainstream success People kind of Critics and stuff Kind of downgraded them A little bit That was a thing That's so hard to explain To someone in 2019 It's like (laughs) back then When you had more success Writers actually Disliked you for it Because first of all in the abstract it makes no sense but second of all it's so alien to like the way young, young writers obviously since the birth of poptimism they do the exact opposite you see the acts that were obscure used to get more press than the acts that people actually listen to mm-hmm. it's just the way it worked back then mm-hmm. <laughs> it, welcome to the alien world of generation X where we had different ideas well, So
1: I, <laughs> I, I never hear the Smiths on the radio but everyone talks about the Smiths and I love the Smiths but it's like just for as an example like that you know sure
0: so number 44 is Skin Yard Howled Ground and that is uh, Corey thing. Corey, tell us about that a little bit.
1: Skinyard were this awesome band. They were another one of those bands on the Deep Six compilation I was talking about. It's Jack and Dino, who's a name, like if you read album liner notes, you know who he is. He recorded Bleach. He recorded a lot of other pretty famous grunge albums, but He was originally the guitar player in Skin Yard, and they were a very strange band in some ways. I think I described them as being something like the birthday party on Acid or something like that, you know, Nick Cave's old band. Um, But you can hear the strains of what would later become known more as grunge. They're a little maybe a little bit more metal, a little more uh, confrontational than some of the other bands. It's also worth noting that uh, the singer and the drummer went on to form Grunt Truck, who should have maybe been on this list. Shame on you. So (laughs) let's briefly hear you memorably described the song Open Fist as sounding
0: like David Lee Roth Front. Husker Du on bath salts. Uh, so, 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 so who's on bath salts? Everyone in this in this oh, scenario. Yeah. Okay, Every, okay, let's hear that. And number forty-three is another sort of interesting, slightly left-field choice, which is Black Flag, "My War." And it seems like the argument rests on the second side of the record which is kind of sludgier and more grungy I don't know if anyone wants to address that one
1: I would say that it's been addressed so much by uh, all the different bands you know Melvin's and Nirvana and everybody loves my, my war album in particular it's a it's a classic, and it should be recognized as a hardcore punk record and as a grunge record in this case.
0: And number 42 is Alice in Chains' Jar of Flies. We kind of touched on Alice in Chains, so maybe we'll move to number 41. The first appearance of Soundgarden on the list, Screaming Life. First of five. <laughs> first of five. It's essentially like the best of Soundgarden and everything else. So Screaming Life and that's their first big
1: release yeah that's what they consider their first album even though it was kind of an EP and the reason why there are five different records on there from Soundgarden (laughs) is each of them was different and each of them had a different thing going on and this one was very more punky and arty and you know the next record they became more like a sludge metal band so it's sort of this weird thing but through it all Chris Cornell's voice is just incomparable like it's awe-inducing
0: and people forget that they went in this direction but Hand of God is like pretty funky so let's hear that Yeah. it has no meaning and number forty is Mud Honey. Every good boy deserves fudge. And again, this goes back to our Green River episode. Mud Honey was the other spin-off essentially of Green River. Mm-hmm. It's their second album and it's a pretty good representation of just like the core of what Mudhoney did, I think.
1: Yeah, and plus, it's a little bit more rock and roll. And I think that's a, an interesting side of things when it comes to grunge in particular is they played up a little bit more of the Stooges beach vibes of stuff, you
0: know? And number 39 is a great album with a really tragic story attached to it. It's The Gits, Enter the Conquering Chicken. hmm And, you know, I, I would just ask Susie to talk a little bit about that.
3: Yeah, so... The Gits, they didn't strike me as a grunge band at first. Honestly, I would have kind of categorized them more in like the pop punk side of things, but they definitely had the energy to them. And like their front woman, Mia Zapata, was like a Patty Smith kind of character. And she garnered so much from like the blues and made it punk and just had this spirit that definitely inspired many riot girl bands to come many many women in punk in general and unfortunately that spirit had gotten you know her actual life had gotten cut short when she was strangled outside of a music venue right after recording conquering chicken and so it's just like a really twisted story but she sort of lived on in so many other records like the seven-year bitch record viva sapata like that record marked like this huge turning point in the scene you know lots of people in the scene not just women but uh pearl jam Soundgarden, nirvana like they also started taking an active role in advocating for women's safety this was like in 93 so you had Lots of consciousness raising happening um, Not just in the punk scene But just on a national level And so even though the Gits they weren't explicitly like a feminist band i think mia zapata's death sort of galvanized all these people in the scene to start speaking out about like gender inequality and also just sexual violence the drummer of seven year bitch started a nonprofit right after mia zapata's death called home alive and so you started seeing like you know these big like major label bands like babes in toyland and nirvana and pearl jam like playing benefit shows for this anti-violence project that's continued to exist to this day
0: yeah so we should hear what social love a change is going to come what should we hear from the album
3: Ooh, social love is a great song well, i
0: don't need
3: your social love now.
0: i feel misread enough and what ails me is the fact that you smiling walking on by it walking on by yeah, when it hits so number 38 it, is, it, is, it, is it, the fluid Purple metal flake music, which I freely admit to have still not had a chance to hear. So someone tell me all about this.
1: Well, the Fluid are a band from Denver, Colorado. I grew up in Colorado, so maybe they're on my radar a little bit more than other people's. And the, the record is out of print, so good luck finding it. <laughs> but it was this amazing album that should have gotten a lot more attention than it did. It came out on Hollywood Records, which was Disney-owned at the time, and they marketed it very badly. It's You know, talking about the greatest records, this was one of the greatest records. They were a little bit more poppy than some of the other grunge bands. They were you know, one of the first bands to sign to sub pop, but it was they were kind of like didn't fit in because they were from Denver in (laughs) that regard of like what is grunge. But I think, you know, I'm trying to let's give them a little justice here, you know? (laughs) Absolutely. Let's listen to She Don't
0: Understand if we can find it. Number 37 kicks so much ass. It's L7, Smell the Magic. And it is no joke. I think we should probably hear Shove before we go on. Absolutely.
1: L7, I, I advocated for them to be on this list a lot. Um, you know, To some people's ears, they're more of a metal band. To some people's ears, they're more of a punk band. Danita herself, who made one of the lists for us afterwards, she said that they came from the art punk scene. And with Shove in particular, you can hear this combo of this this ragged kind of rock and then uh, at the same time this punky attitude. That came out on Sub Pop too, which is kind of funny. Um, they're another you know, Sub Pop band from another part of the country. And
0: number 35 is Paw, Dragline. And that was one of Hank's, but I don't know if someone wants to take that one.
1: PAW were this great band from Kansas that had this song called Jesse that I really particularly loved. And just the way that I had the fluid from my backyard on this list, Hank really advocated to have PAW on this list, and we both agreed, because that record's, again, highly underrated.
0: Let's hear Jesse, and then we'll move on. So number 34 is Seven Year Bitch, and we alluded to earlier, Viva Zapata. Susie, you want to take that one?
3: Yeah. I found this quote actually from the drummer Valerie Agnew where when making that record and also like working on this nonprofit, she said their one objective was to just become these fucking ninja bitches. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) That's pretty much like the thesis of this record is just some fucking ninja bitches and it's just such a cathartic record and expresses like the pure both rage and sorrow of the
0: time and so what should we hear from that album maybe m.i.a and then number 33 Again, Susie, Babes in Toyland, Fontenelle, take oh it. Oh my God, I love Babes in Toyland. <laughs> yeah, me too.
3: I really do. Yeah, the thing about Babes in Toyland, like a lot of people, when they see Kat B. Ellen, because she was like a champion of like the kinder whore aesthetic <laughs> and hated that word, like absolutely hated that. Both her and Courtney Love, I think it confused a lot of people at first because they looked very similarly, but they were like best frenemies. I think they continue to be best frenemies. They cannot stand each other and yet they cannot be a part Mm. It's one of those freaky female friendships, you know, where you can't tell whether you feel like love or obsession for the other woman. And I think that's the through line in most Babes in Toyland records is just the the constant push and pull between wanting to be another woman and like wanting to be with her or like whether platonically or sexually. And also, another thing is like Kat Bielan and Courtney Love started out. As best friends they started a band with L7's Jennifer Finch called uh, Sugar Baby Doll and which later became Pagan Babies and like Courtney actually wanted to sound like Cocteau Twins she wanted to make really like shoegazy ethereal music and Kat Ellen of Babes in Toyland like she couldn't get with that but she also wanted to get away from Courtney Love so she moved to <laughs> Minneapolis because the replacements were from there and she just sort of embraced that sound. There's a lot of the Midwest in uh, especially Spanking Machine I would say. You Which get- is
0: number 27 we should say. Yeah go on. sorry.
3: Yeah and so Spanking Machine it's like you got that big black sound little bit of like Husker do, just this really like steely kind of guitar and then you get to Fontanelle and then I think you get more of like the Lydia Lunch like New York kind of no wave vibe from them and I think that Kat Ellen embodies the like ultimate kind of like Lilith figure where she just like, you know, she looks pretty, but God, she just wants to like, I don't know, just like be really, really like grating, you know? And that's part of the art of her sound, you know? She just sounds like a witch at the top of a tower, like ready to (laughs) sick her like flying monkeys on you.
0: Cool, and which song should we hear by them?
3: Let's see, I would do Swamp Pussy.
0: Let's do it. We've been going pretty much in order from the bottom. We might start jumping around a little bit just so we don't not get to number one, which is a thing that happens sometimes. It's very hard to time these things. You know, give us a break here. (laughs) Number 30 is Wipers Youth of America, which is, again, like it's 1981. It's pretty early
1: yeah they were a band they came out of Portland and uh, they were one of the most influential bands especially on Kurt Cobain Melvin's whole uh, in the early 90s I can't remember exactly what happened but the singer Greg Sage he got sick and so they put together a tribute comp to them and uh, Nirvana covered Return of the Rat on there it was really good mm. Hank really wanted Youth of America on there and I think he made an excellent point as to the dirge like quality of some of the songs uh-huh. and how that sort of makes it a grunge record I love it I think it's great I'm glad we had it on there
0: I want to talk about Stone Temple Pilots because they actually have two spots on the list Mm -hmm. which in the 90s would have been extremely controversial (laughs) and actually purple which is at number 24 I think would be less controversial than what you guys did with Core yeah. because that <laughs> that's surprising to me but Purple I think everyone kind of agreed that that showed them as people really thought they were kind of ripoffy y on their first album oh, at yeah. the time everyone and, thought they sounded like Pearl Jam Yes and, and they kind of did and that's why they're grunge
1: Yes <laughs> right
0: so so but Purple really did go in a lot of different directions and made that comparison less yeah. easy I would say so that one's more of a gimme but we'll jump from that so there they are at number 24 and uh, another Soundgarden at number 23 that's the, deep, the heavy one <laughs> the Deep Six compilation we talked about Jerry Kentrell's solo album highly <laughs> underrated Green River we talked about it the single soundtrack so important and I love Cameron Crowe comparing it to The Graduate yes. oh, <laughs> which isn't quite right of course because isn't The Graduate at all Simon and Garfunkel
2: it's like 98% Simon <laughs> and Garfunkel yes
0: <laughs> so it's like a little off you know it's like unless you accept that Simon and Garfunkel totally encapsulated their era which I guess you could another sort of one off which I think it was yeah
1: it was a one off Matt Season yeah. <laughs> which is a super group it was Mike McCready from Pearl Jam Lane Staley from Alice in Chains Barrett from Screaming Trees and uh I Don't Know Anything in particular is my, one of my favorite songs on there. That I just thought that was an Alice Chain song until I went back and I was like, oh yeah, it's Mad Season. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Number 17 is Screaming Trees, Sweet Oblivion. I always forget about Screaming Trees and then when I go back and listen, I was like, oh yeah, I love Screaming Trees. I mean, there were a lot of bands. It was easy to lose track. Like You know, it's like if you are Screaming Trees and you're like never quite rise to a certain commercial level, I'm sure that was frustrating.
1: Yeah, and also I think the singer Mark Lanigan's done his best to sort of separate himself from grunge in particular in that band just in the past.
0: And we should talk about, we keep a To the Melvins But we never Have dug into them And there they were On a major label With 1993's Houdini Which is In retrospect Just unbelievable
1: Yeah There were a bunch of bands That would normally Never get any kind of big money <laughs> and that they should have and melvin's you'll never hear them on the radio and they're happy with that but you know they obviously were gonna like if they're gonna if they're gonna have money thrown at them they're gonna make a good sounding record and i think uh, kurt cobain produced it but they always said that he didn't actually do anything on it
0: <laughs> and here's the more commercial l7 album and number yeah. 15 bricks are heavy also a great album butch vig nevermind <laughs> producer came along and again as with the other one kicked so much ass who wants to talk about that one
1: i'll just say that uh pretend we're dead i remember seeing that on mtv and it's just totally blowing my mind that mm-hmm. anyone Would sing lyrics like Let's pretend we're dead (laughs) (laughs) I loved it It totally hit me
3: It's like a twisted Like child's game
0: Yeah (laughs) Let's
1: hear that
3: Number
0: 13 I do want to talk about for minutes nirvana's bleach it's a weird thing like i personally have never gotten into bleach when i first bought it in you know 1990 whatever when *Nevermind* came out i actually sold it back because i didn't get it at all now i get it i just don't love it <laughs> so it, it's like i've actually heard like this sort of hipster take on is that they were actually better before dave grohl came on i find that deranged but i know that some people actually believe that like i think that's actually like that's perverse but i don't know angie do you like bleach yeah.
2: I do, I mean... But you
0: like incesticide, so I don't know mm -hmm. if we can... uh, I can make a case
2: for incesticide. I think Dive and Aneurysm are one of their two greatest songs. Yeah, I agree. Bleach has its ups and downs, I would say. I mean, I love About a Girl. That brings in, like... Well, yeah,
0: but I think I prefer the unplugged version, personally. Yeah, Yeah. but this
2: is his first time immersing himself with, like, the Olympia grunge scene and his love for the Beatles, which he constantly tried to hide. And then, (laughs) yeah, I think the shocking blues cover of Love Buzz is great with Chris's bass. I mean, this is like a great introduction to what was about to come. I don't think it's their greatest album, I hear that argument a lot from a lot of hipsters, but um, Bleach is awesome.
1: Everybody likes to be contradictory. What I'll say about Bleach, what I'll add to that is just that it's the world's greatest Melvins tribute record. Mm.
2: <laughs> that is very true.
1: So number
0: 12 is Siamese Dream by Smashing Pumpkins. We kind of addressed that, I love that record. You know, okay, I'll buy it, Grunge, sure. Um, number 11, see this is controversial, as I alluded to, don't don't a Pilots Core, to be that high, I was mildly scandalized.
1: That was audacious of you. What
0: was the thinking putting it quite that high
1: there are so many songs on that record that are awesome and grungy and they you know talking about the quality of the albums and what is a great album and since this is the 50 greatest albums it's one of these things like maybe grunge is the least important word in that the name of this whole list you know 50 great albums you know you can't deny the core is there you know with wicked garden and Mm -hmm. sex type thing and plush creep and Creep and it sounds like Pearl Jam and it's grungy and it's awesome. <laughs> I think it's also
2: important to note, Brian, you were saying earlier that in the 90s this would have been like audacious to put them this high up on the list. But with a lot of millennials, it doesn't matter. I mean, yeah. if you think about the early days of LimeWire for so long, Creep was listed as a Nirvana song. <laughs> so take that into consideration. But <laughs> right. Oh, man, the history of
3: mislabeled
2: songs yes. on LimeWire.
1: I'll add that Radiohead's Creep is also a grunge song.
3: Mm,
2: was that? it Pablo Honey was you're, almost
0: you're on our right. list? You're absolutely right.
1: You're hundred percent right. I would have about There's no doubt about that.
2: that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so Pearl Gem's versus is at number 10. I probably personally would have knocked it off the list personally no. and put Vitology on. You instead, love instead. That's I, that's I, I don't know about I don't I don't know about knocking it off the list, but I would I think Vitology is better than Versus. I would say some of the quote unquote funkier moments of verses haven't aged super well. That their sort of Jane's and Chili Peppers influence sort of attempts at funk are like a little bit dork now and if you notice if there's one aspect of the band that they purged going forward it's their attempts to be funky but at the same time there's some really really great songs on this so I actually don't mean that I would bump it from the list but I would personally put Vitalogy in that slot and move Versus somewhere else but obviously you all disagree I personally
1: feel that with Vitalogy they sort of moved on from grunge a little bit with Versus you have Animal you have Go yeah and those songs are undeniably grunge they, you know obviously they started going a little bit more in the, the pop direction on that album with Daughter I think was on that mm-hmm. one Dis- or mm-hmm. man. I can't remember which one. But as a whole, I would say it's more of a grunge statement than vitology, and that's why... That is what it is.
0: And Soundgarden's super unknown. I mean, kind of hard to mess with that one.
1: Yeah, I love it. I wrote that one up myself. That album in particular, I remember buying it the day it came out. And I have the vinyl version of it with the um, green clear vinyl. But again, Soundgarden had just reached a totally different sound at that time. You know, they'd done the, the really screaming metal thing on Bad Motor Finger, which is higher up on the list. And they focused a little bit more on songcraft. But at the same time, you had a song like Fourth of July on there that's like one of the heaviest things they ever did. Um, I, I would say it's the, maybe the most even Soundgarden record showing off the different sides of what they were capable of
0: and number eight is in utero do you want to say something about in utero andrew
2: i think in utero is better than Nevermind. i will always defend this record <laughs> i really do think it's the final scream i mean you have heart-shaped box you have milk it you have rape me this is the final side of kurt before he dies and i think it's really important i honestly don't know why we have it at eight i would have put it at like three but
0: mm-hmm. <laughs> oh and unplugged is not on the list unplugged is not on the list it's because you did not think it's a grunge album or you did not think it's a great album or it's because it's a live album Uh, or all
1: of the above it's some combo of those I do think it's a great record ultimately I didn't think of it so much as an album it's one of these things I I remember watching it it's hard for me to think of it as an album as much as I'll go back and listen to it it's not so much of an album me, it's an awesome recording.
0: It's interesting because, like, the all apologies version from Unplugged is really what got played on the radio more yeah. than anything else. Mm-hmm. I, that's kind of the arguably the more definitive version of the song in cases like that. It's you a more know, popular, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, well, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I hear you. Number seven, Temple of the Dog. Well, here's another thing where I will share an actual opinion, which is I don't know for me if Temple of the Dog for me holds up as much as an album to be number seven personally. I wouldn't have put I feel like. Hunger Strike is one thing, but personally, I'm surprised to see the album itself so high. At the same time, it is so
1: grunge. Mm -hmm. So talk about the thinking there. I'd be curious what everyone thought about that. I've Mm -hmm. been listening to that record nonstop since the uh, Chris Cornell tribute concert and uh just hearing reach down and say hello to heaven and a lot of the songs that weren't hunger strike they're great and chris cornell was a great songwriter and this is when he came into his own this is when he kind of had that epiphany of doing something that was a little bit more than just screaming and uh it really set the template for what 90s grunge would be and it also changed what soundgarden would be
0: let's hear say hello to heaven Alice in Chains' Dirt is number six. We kind of talked about Alice in Chains, but do you want to quickly say something?
2: I just want to say that I think, again, I already told you guys that in singles, it was added to the soundtrack. So you see Alice in Chains now, and it looks a little weird, I would say, but it kind of fits in. I think at the time, though, it was a little wild a
1: suggestion.
0: Number five is Mudhoney's Super Fuzz Big Muff. And it is just purely archetypal grunge. It's oh, yeah. extremely influential, as you There's an
1: alternate universe list of this where that's the number one album. And it probably could have been and should have been. And who knows, you know? Fantastic album cover, too. Wow. Well, Charles <sighs> Peterson. Yeah. yeah.
0: And number four is Holes Live Through This. The
1: most Would, controversial placement on the list.
0: I mean, I love that record. I sometimes love Celebrity Skin more, but it's much less grungy. What was the thinking there? It's one of the greatest records, that, especially from that era, by mm-hmm. any artist, Absolutely. in my opinion. So where's the controversy? Courtney. Yeah.
3: Would you like to address this one, Susie? <laughs> no, she just, Courtney has a way of wearing controversy like a crown, you know? And it, it's just really spooky how that album was timed. You know, I mean, they scheduled the release like before Kurt Cobain's suicide, and he committed suicide just days before the album was released. And, you know, people say what they want to say about Courtney's role and all of that, but Courtney really had broken her heart. I will say that it was also
2: the last time Kurt spoke to Courtney on the phone. He called her and said, I just want and let you know that you made a great record and oh. uh, that became live through this I mean mm-hmm. it's it's weird to see now that Doll parts is so poignant and awful but at the time we didn't know what well, we go no it was going. idea it's weird now to know that she wrote that well before he died
0: yeah mm-hmm. totally and we should talk about the top three sort of as a chunk which is Pearl Gems 10 the joke is the Rolling Stone core readership's favorite record of all time if we requested a reader list on any topic Pearl Gems 10 Always. would be in it greatest R&B record Pearl Gems 10 whatever it was <laughs> um, no, no, number two uh, sound go- and And a great record, of course. Soundgarden's Bad Motorfinger at number two and Nirvana's Nevermind at number one. And I guess I don't think people need us to tell them about those records, but maybe what they would want to know is what was the argument and the thinking that ended up
1: with that order? Well, I think just working backwards Nevermind is just undeniably the grunge record you know that's the ground zero and everyone starts with Nevermind and they should and it's a classic you know we were wrong about it when we reviewed it when it first came out and uh, we'll you know always be making up for that with lists like this
0: well you know the funny thing about that is the review itself is pretty positive it's more like the star rating but yeah yeah, we've talked about this before it's a weird thing it's like people are like oh Rolling Stone actually if you read it you're like oh actually like the reviewer I think was Ira Robbins is kind of a legendary rock critic like pretty much nailed all of the relevant influences and all the things it was just it was more like probably the editors didn't quite get it if I remember I bought it because of the spin review I read at the time which said it was better than Teenage Fan Club and rocked harder than the more recent Rush album and I was like sounds good to me yeah. I'm, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I'm totally getting that what's interesting is you did put Bad Motorfinger, which is you know nothing needs to be said about that record but it's a perfect record it is. you put it above 10 which you know actually I kind of agree with actually I do agree with I, I like yeah. that record better than 10 but I think some people like those dudes no doubt who are calling for for Pearl Jam's 10 to be in every topic might be mad that Bad finger is ahead of it so give me your reasoning
1: we're looking at three perfect records here and uh, you know in terms of grunginess you can go one two three in a way you got Nevermind which is the statement you got Soundgarden's Bad finger which I think is maybe the epitome of grunge in some ways if somebody asked me what does grunge sound like I'd probably play them like Outshined mm. and then you have Pearl Jam's 10 which uh, is maybe it's a little bit more rock than some of the classic other ones. rocky. Yeah.
0: yeah yeah a lot of guitar solos, which was one reason why it was so broadly appealing I think it really yeah. reached to uh, a kids who didn't even know what all rock was but maybe we we're listening to the local classic rock station mm-hmm. <laughs> so you are listening to rolling stone music now that has been today's show on the greatest grunge albums of all time thanks to cory Gro, angie martosio and suzy exposito and we'll be back next week here on sirius xm's volume channel 106 in the meantime we are a podcast download us as a podcast subscribe to us as a podcast wherever you get your podcasts and as always thanks for listening and we'll see you next week